As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right, over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs, also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash mpn to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash mpn. Terms and conditions apply. This episode is brought to you by Bumble. So you want to find someone you're compatible with, specifically someone who's ready for a serious connection, totally open to having kids in the future, is a tall rock climbing Libra, and loves rom-coms with vegan pizzas on Tuesdays just as much as you do. Bumble knows that you know exactly what's right for you. So whatever it is you're looking for, Bumble's features can help you find it. Date now on Bumble. Artificial intelligence is remaking marketing as we speak. And if you're a marketer, you can either get up to speed or get left behind. The choice is yours and really, it's a no-brainer. Join Jeff Livingston and Greg Verdino as they explore the latest AI news, trends, tools, and ideas that are creating the future of marketing today. This is No Brainer, an AI podcast for marketers. Oh, and just in case you're wondering, yes, I am an AI. Take it away, Jeff and Greg. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the No Brainer Podcast. I'm Jeff Livingston. And I'm joined by my OG blogging friend from back in the day, Greg Verdino. Hey, Greg, how are you? I'm good, Jeff. How are you today? Very good. And just for those of you who are joining us for the first time, we tend to talk about AI and how it's impacting the marketing profession. We like to think we're maybe a week or two ahead of everybody else, but not much. We're all learning together. And so we're just sharing our insights and Look forward to hopefully maybe making an impact for you. And if you have some ideas for us, definitely leave them in the comments. So with that, we talk about a news item. We're going to get into something deep, which we're going to talk about CRM integrations today. And then uh, we'll give you a a few tips to walk away with. And with that, Greg, you want to kick off our news topic? Sure, absolutely. So so this has been, I mean, it's clearly since last we we, we got together, um, there's certainly been no shortage of news, right? Uh, You know, we saw the CRM integrations that we're going to talk about later. We saw both Microsoft and Google announce their integration of of AI into their productivity suites. Um, But I think the, you know, clearly the item that took the wind out out of everybody else's sails and sucked the wind, the air out of the room was the announcement of GPT-4 by OpenAI. Uh, Clearly, GPT-4 has been in play for a while, right? You know, Microsoft has already said that they've been using some version of GPT-4 to drive the Google, that's uh, the uh, the Google, to to drive the Bing. (laughs) They don't want to drive the Google. (laughs) To drive the Bing that's been going off the rails a little bit, which is interesting, right? Right. Now this is the, you know, we now have this commercially available to everybody. And clearly GPT-4 has been in play in some of the, um, uh, some of the, you know, API integration 
predictions um, that have been so quick on the heels of the announcement. But for anybody who hasn't been paying close attention, um, you know, ChatGPT was announced in November, December of last year that ran on GPT. 3.5 or a version of right. 3.5 um, for probably a year or so now folks who have been watching open AI and kind of wondering where they are with the next iteration of their large language model have been wondering when does GPT-4 come right and apparently like you had said it's been in market like there was that story that came out on Bloomberg this week Morgan Stanley has been using it now for right. several months exactly like, wow. right you know so it's, it's it's been out there but it hasn't been generally available uh, available to the public I don't know why my tongue is not working very well today um, but it hasn't been generally generally available to the public uh, certainly it hasn't been available through their general use API it has not obviously been available through chat GPT with its hundred million users we've all been using the prior version um, so they announced right. officially the release of GPT-4. Um, it has some improvements over GPT-3.5. Um, you would hope, right? You would hope, right? <laughs> um, what's interesting is they haven't said anything about the data it's trained on or the model that they've used to train it or how the re they've done reinforcement learning or anything like that. It was the code too, right? Like OpenAI is OpenAI, but now the code's not available uh, for right, people to easily kind of access. Right now AI, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, so Fake you know, there were a lot of rumors. <laughs> there were a lot, a lot of rumors, you know, going going around prior to its release that it was going to be like, you know, 75 gazillion terabytes of data, right? Um, you know, I, there's no indication whatsoever that that's true. Sam mm -hmm. Altman has said it's not true. Um, and the data is still only trained through September, I believe, of 2021, just like uh, 3.5 and ChatGPT. Uh, right? Other than so, what everybody's loading into it and training it with, right? Right, right, right. Um, so there's certainly that going on, right? Right. Um, but they have certainly made some improvements, right? It is, uh, it seems to be less prone to hallucination, although it does hallucinate. <laughs> um, you know, it certainly hallucinates. Um, they claim the guardrails are a bit tighter on it, although, mm -hmm. Jeff, I know you and I were sharing things earlier this week. You know, I was able to jailbreak it and turn it into, you know, spe effectively Tucker Carlson, which is, uh, like which is supposed to be outside health, the right? like, great. rules. Um, right. Um, In know, the style I, um, of Tucker Carlson. <laughs> but I, um, you know, at the same time, though, I have found when I'm not messing around with it and trying to break the rules on it, um, I was able to do some interesting things. It was giving me sort of deeper, deep, deeper, deeper, richer, more accurate information to my serious queries. I was able to feed it some of my own blog posts and say, analyze my style and write in my style. And it was able to do so pretty effectively. That's um, great. So it certainly is an improvement over what it was. Um, and then you know, my ultimate test, because I'm a narcissist, is I ask it about myself, right? And in, pri in the prior version of ChatGPT, it basically started hallucinating after the opening paragraph. I was writing books I've never written. I worked for universities. I worked for companies I've never worked for. Now it gets my bio fairly accurate. Now, how much of that is me scolding it in, pri in its prior iteration that it now remembers? And how much of that is better training? Who knows? Right. So it is certainly better. 
Um, is it a is it a step change or is it a you know sort of a whole scale sea change? I think it, it remains to be seen. Yeah, and it to feels your like point, more like iPhone 13 from iPhone 12, right? Where we we've it seen an integration, right? Like now you can prompt it with a picture, which is great if you can't communicate well, which is me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or right, which is actually, I mean, I don't know why. Right, I I didn't mention that because I feel like it's like been announced but not available yet. Right, is the fact that it is allegedly multimodal. Right, so um, it's kind of closed down there. They're doing set tests with be my eyes or whatever, uh, but eventually at some point they will release as part of it the ability to put a picture and have it respond to the photo, et cetera, et cetera. Um, in their demo, they showed somebody upload a napkin drawing and it napkin drawing and it. Um, it allegedly created a website out of the napkin drawing. Um, you know, we'll see what that looks like when that gets commercially released, I suppose. But, you know, what is your sense, Jeff? Do you feel it's, you know, something that, um, you know, I guess, I guess what is your sense about how, how seriously we should be taking the latest iteration? Well, I think it's great PR. I mean, I think what we're seeing really for the past four months now, we're like a little bit further into this open AI chat GPT revolution, quote unquote, is that OpenAI and Microsoft have deployed a masterful public relations and marketing plan to build this thing. And so what I think would probably be just a normal software push, right? Like if HubSpot updated its platform or, you know, even a Windows update or, a, you know, and maybe a better example is a Macintosh iOS update where we're not really launching Sierra, we're going to 13.5 or whatever it is. You know, that would be a push. Apple would announce it. Maybe we get a new feature or two, but it's not like the full on big launch, right? Um, of the iPhone itself. And as such, Apple doesn't make a big deal about it. Um, but OpenAI did, and that's because they're feeding this fury, right? They're really trying to drive market adoption. And uh, there's a lot of confusion out there and every opportunity to educate the world on it and to get their name further out there. They're doing very well. Um, the actual yeah. iteration is not that mind-blowing to me. What I think is most interesting is that some of the logic that they've put into it is a lot savvier. So it's harder to basically bullshit or scald uh, or trick ChatGPT. Although, obviously, there are going to be a lot of people that will do it anyway, as you've already proven. Um, the one thing I didn't like about it is kind of, and I, this is me as a, a professional looking at how they launched, was that they said that this can score better than 90% of the American public uh, uh, or the American high school population on SAT tests. And of course, the media being as dumb as it is, is just like, yeah, that's amazing. It's so sentient and brilliant and incredible. So smart. We're really in the era of AI. And to me, that's the bad hype around AI. That's the, we're going to replace your job. We're going to take away everything that's around you. What probably happened in that particular instance is what my guess is that they trained it on prep materials for the SAT or and or they found what the SAT is currently testing on subject wise and then trained it on it and then ran it through an SAT yeah. test and it scored a 90% or, or in the 90th yeah, percentile. I, mean, I think that 
That I mean, that's a pretty likely theory. I've got a couple of other theories on that. And I also find that sort of that set of data points and the way the media is running with it. Um, you know, I also find that to be problematic to a large extent, you know, where they're totally. equating human intelligence with machine intelligence and they're not the same thing. And, you know, you know, I'm not trying to argue, hey, we're special. Machines can't replicate what we do, but just they are not the same thing. No, uh, but, you know, and I what they should, think about what they should have done and say is this is an example of how AI doesn't crack under pressure or doesn't get tired or doesn't forget things and on an early Saturday morning when you're a kid that wants to sleep till 11 o'clock in the morning. Like it's not a, it's not a, an apples to apples comparison, right? And the other thing too with that is I I again going back to that Bloomberg article, I don't see ChatGPT replacing our jobs. I see it making our jobs a lot more hellish in the sense of productivity, right? Like we can't get away with, I can only write four articles this week. No, you'll write four articles today because you use ChatGPT. And if you don't, I'll find some kid that'll do it. And I don't care about how creative your articles are. Right, there is right. That's I think a whole separate conversation around productivity that we're, you know, that has to happen. And I don't want to take our topics today off the rails and maybe we'll come Let's back go. and do this on the, right in, another, in another episode, <laughs> right? But, but you know, I think there's been all of this, oh, this is a revolution in productivity. It's like, do we need a revolution in productivity? You know, it's like we're already probably more productive than we need to be when you look at it at face value. Do we really need to write four articles in a day? Does the world need 40 more articles about a given topic from a given company? Right there, that, that's to me a whole separate conversation. And, and, right? and, and you as an advertising executive, a, a, a true creative, I don't know how you feel about this, but I'm like, so that's great. You've basically replicated what is a diminishing form in media. Like text is diminishing. People are moving to video. They're moving to imagery. They're moving to virtual realities uh, in theory, as we keep learning uh, by Meta's failure. Uh, but, <laughs> but, you know, like, so is this really the transformative AI? Is it going to be the video generator? You know, to me, I, I really have a lot of thoughts about that because I know that TikTok's kicking the crap out of Twitter. So what do people really want from a generative AI? And is this it or was this just the easiest one? Right, right. And, you know, so, I mean, I think that. You know, I agree with you that this feels like a more iterative release than a revolutionary release. Mm -hmm. I think what is revolutionary, though, is I think two things. Number one, I think it's the the expectation that's being set around the frequency with which improvements will be made. Um, even though, as we both said, you know, we we believe Chat GPT or not Chat GPT GPT four has been out there in some sort of isolated use cases like Morgan Stanley and so forth. Um, you know, I think we can expect as consumers to see these more frequent iterations, more frequent releases that we are going to see over time. These smaller changes add up to be something much more substantial. Um, I think that's one thing. I think the other thing that's frankly revolutionary is the extent to which a single company with a single learning model, language model, has effectively become the de facto standard um, for so many different applications um, where companies are integrating the technology without really asking hard questions about how the technology is built, right? So to your point earlier, yeah, <laughs> right. But to your point earlier, right? Nobody, like you know, all 
OpenAI has been almost gleeful in their declaration yeah. that they are not going to tell you what's the data, how was it trained, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And they're avoiding right? a crisis by doing that. We know that. Like, you and I both know that. I mean, it's obvious, right? Like, they don't want to because they know they'll totally be held accountable for it. Right. And, you know, which, you know, and I've seen some of like the linguists that really study this stuff hardcore, unlike us, you know, we're these, you know, we're like these two marketing idiots. But, you know, you look at someone like an Emily Bender, right? The woman who came up with the term stochastic parrot and is a, you know, is a really sharp critic of these technologies and understands the linguistic basis of language models, if not the technological basis. And she, you know, her point of view, she like tweeted yesterday, until they tell you exactly what's in it and how it was trained, assume it's a steaming pile of garbage, basically. You have to. Um, you garbage know, so in, now, garbage out. Now you look at, right, you know, a lot of the AI writing assistants have already integrated GPT-4. Like Jasper and Lex are already marketing the fact that if you want GPT-4, it's already baked into our software. Um, you know, clearly Microsoft is now baking it into their productivity suite. And, of course, now as marketers, we're yep. seeing our CRMs start to bring AI features to the market and we don't know what those AI features are actually you know what the what the basis of the you know, sort of foundational model is right. so that brings us to our sort of deeper topic around the CRMs um, as, as as I said even earlier um, in, in in this what feels like an interminable podcast because my tongue is not working properly. Um, you and know, you're we, pissed you know, off about 4.0. Oh, that's all. I'm, that's what I'm getting. You don't like that <laughs> shit. You're like, <laughs> I don't like you, Sam Altman. You you make me very mad, sir. You make me mad. <laughs> you know, it's true. But okay, yeah, so I mean, to the so point of the CRM. Am I that angry today? <laughs> so, it's Friday. So, so we've seen both. We've seen the two. We record on Friday. We've seen the so. two CRM. Blah 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 blah. Um, we we've seen the two CRM big boys. Um, you know, Salesforce, Salesforce and HubSpot. HubSpot mm -hmm. um, announce the integration of. Um, ChatGPT or AGPT, whether it's 3.5 or 4, um, into their platforms. Um, we're seeing some of their actual productization come to market, particularly on the HubSpot side. Mm -hmm. um, I don't think we've seen exactly what's going on with Salesforce just yet, uh, but certainly they've made announcements and you've been playing around with some of what's available and taking a deeper look. Um, so why don't you share some of what you've seen, what you're learning and what your thoughts are on some of that stuff? Yeah, so I think, first of all, let's just recap really quickly for those that aren't up to speed and forgive me if you are. HubSpot uh, has two flavors of it. They have their content creating tool. I forgot, I think it's content assistant. And then they have ChatSpot AI. Uh, their content assistant GPT technology is in beta. And ChatSpot AI is an alpha. And then Salesforce was a lot more aggressive. They announced Einstein GPT, which is their flavor of AI. And they've announced a widespread integration across the CRM in the Slack. And they've announced levels of it. And of note, I think that's important is that a company can get a private implementation. You know, uh, I forget how they exactly phrase it, but basically you can license it and have it on your own server. And, and we'll talk about why that matters. Um, of, the, of the two things, it seems like Salesforce is more of a traditional ChatSpot 4.0 integration a la Bing. And then, um, and I don't know because I haven't seen it. 
I have played with HubSpot and I have read both materials pretty closely. HubSpot has their own flavor, right? HubSpot's kind of like done what I would assume most smart brands would do. They're a little more cautious, obviously, with the alpha. Um, they're, they're, they're putting other algorithms into it to build their own AI model. And they're kind of, you know, being very reticent on how they're rolling it out, making sure people get into the betas. And also for um, Salesforce, you're piloting it. You're not in full release mode quite yet. So they also seem to demonstrate a little bit of reticence. And uh, the big way they're promoting this is that you can get your marketing teams because, of course, Salesforce has Salesforce Marketing Cloud, which used to be, uh, I always mangle the name Pardo <laughs> or Pardot. You know, whatever you want to be, whichever part of the country you're in, Pardot, um, and uh, whatever that marketing automation platform has become, you can access ChatGPT to generate your emails and your landing pages, and da da da. Same thing for Content Assistant, and with Chatspot AI, you can generate uh, emails as well. And I've already played with that. Um, I think the real danger for me to this. Uh, I think it's great. It's going to help people become a lot more successful, obviously, uh, but is the way it's been rolled out. And it matches a lot of how OpenAI has rolled this technology out. We're not talking about what happens if you unleash a bunch of bad, maybe questionably sourced emails to your uh, teams. We know that ChatSpot uh, can provide, or ChatGPT can provide a decent email. I don't know about you stylistically if you leave it to itself um, and you don't prompt it on how to write or you don't edit it afterwards. Uh, I have found the emails to be very long-winded and academic that does not play well in a sales environment. It does not have the CTA type of uh, punch you need in that first paragraph and title that you would get maybe from an AI that's a little more trained to to do that, a domain-specific AI that's focuses solely on sales emails, kind of like copy AI or AI SEO, right? A couple flavors like that. So there's that danger. And then there's the Salesforce danger and the marketing danger, which is, I I know the people listening to this podcast are not these people, (laughs) right? But I think anybody that's been in this business for a while knows that there are some folks that perhaps aren't as motivated to crush it on every touch. And as a result, you're going to see some really not thought out, not edited, cut and paste jobs are going to go out to clients, prospects, leads, uh, and just really piss them off. Or worse, just be lame and turn the brand uh, towards the negative, perhaps incrementally, perhaps in the worst case scenario, in a a horrific gaffe that turns into a public relations issue. So so those are concerns. And, And I know you have your own take on it as well. Um, I, I do think there are some possibilities where it can be really good, such as that private implementation where you train it on your own data. And I think some of the positives and I think the immediate impacts are going to be research. Like for me, ChatGPT, the great thing that I love really about ChatGPT is it's good at summarizing stuff. I can throw five articles in there, say, give me a brief on this. And it saves me from reading probably about an hour's worth of content that I really have no interest in reading. It's probably not mission critical for me to read it, but I just need to know a high-level executive summary. Perfect for that. Perfect for researching company profiles. Perfect for getting ideas about what somebody might care about based on what they're reading. You know, all sorts of things like that. Go through this LinkedIn profile. What does this person talk about? This is great for that. It's really 
very useful to a sales force in that sense. So just a quick 800 mile top down view of how these CRM technologies might work. What are your thoughts, Greg? I know you you and I have batted yeah. this back and forth all week, so I know you got some. Bring it. Yeah, so <laughs> I, I share a lot of your concerns, right? I think the promise is, you know, just like any of the impl- integrations that any of the other software companies are doing with AI, I think the the implication is this is technology that will make us more effective, allow us to be more productive, again, with some question around, do we need to really be more productive? But, you know, it will allow us to be more productive. It will allow us to uh, kind of let the machines do the drudgery so that we can do the work that's more strategic, more fulfilling, more rewarding, more important, right? Like you just described, you know, taking a whole bunch of stuff you have to read but don't want to read. It's important to know as background knowledge, but not necessarily something you need to get deep into, allow a chat GPT or any of these AI implementations to crunch through that information and provide you with a bulleted summary. Phenomenal use for this kind of technology, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I think the problem you have, and it's it's the problem you're describing in part, is when either the technology companies themselves overpromise or misrepresent what the technology does well right and or the users of the technology have an expectation as to how they should use this and that expectation is wrong right and that's where you end up with a scenario where if you have an AI SEO, for example, or a HubSpot, or a, you know dot 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 name the technology, making a promise that this will write your email sequence, this will do your prospecting right. for you, this will this get will your marketing automation for you, <laughs> right? It, you know that is an unrealistic expectation. Right um, now, if that creates a behavior among the users, where the users then say, "Great, I'm going to churn out." You know, I used to churn out 10 crappy cold emails a day, and now I can do 100. And I don't need to even have eyes on the work as it's happening. Um, I just send out these cold emails created by an AI, um, and I'm doing my job. That's where it becomes problematic, and that's where you have blowback, uh, you know, where the brand reputation starts to get hurt. And and is this really the right tool for that? Like, you may be better off using an RPA, like a robotic process automation, where you're sending out that same email just customized with the fields, which is basically what a marketing automation software platform already does. You know, so if you're you're really transactional like that, like, is this right thing? It might be the right thing to generate that initial email, but then I think then we're looking also at a, and this is a really important topic, and I think this is where it kind of gets... This is the crux of the issue for the CRMs and for the companies using it. Am I a high dollar type of company? Am I Rolls Royce engines selling to maybe 150 customers across the world? And every time they buy my equipment, we're talking maybe seven figures for parts. We're talking eight figures, nine figures for engines. We might be talking even 10 figure deals, right? If particularly if you're Boeing and you're buying all my engines, right? So to me, I don't want to send you that general email. I don't even want a salesperson to be able to copy and paste it and send it to somebody. 
they may be a lot of research, but if I'm having, if I'm thinking about the way I want my team to use this and I'm the sales manager or the chief commercial officer or the chief marketing officer, I'm definitely thinking like, this is not something you should be touching in that sense. I hired you to be a premium salesperson. You get your one deal every two years for eight figures and you're good and we're good. So don't you dare use this for that, right? You're paid to have that high dollar touch. Now that's an extreme example, but it, even for you know somebody that's selling like significant technology implementations, right? Uh, software implementations are six figure size deals. Is this really the right tool for you to be using to send your emails directly from the engine? Probably not. So you, you really have to think about like, how am I gonna train my staff on how to use this? Now, if you're transactional, it makes a lot of sense, right? Like we were talking about Kia sure. last week. In fact, just load up all the data in there, let the customer self-serve themselves for their information, right? And have your private implementation. Right, right. Makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. And it's interesting, as you were talking, I was thinking of, you know, I'm thinking of the size of the average enterprise Salesforce implementation, right? right. And it's like, you know, should Salesforce be using Salesforce's Einstein GPT to sell enterprise level deals into large, large brands? You know, that's an interesting question. We'll see, right? Yeah. Um, and I do think they eat their own dog food? I don't think they do. I don't, I know what, right? I've well, been please. on Salesforce calls. I know what they do, man. Like Salesforce, <laughs> there is no cheap Salesforce call. It's always a six figure call, right? It's always about a six figure deal with them. There's no cheap deal. Yeah. You can't walk into that call and expect right. to get like, oh, maybe we can do that for a couple thousand dollars. No way. <laughs> Absolutely. Sorry. Yeah, so I think, you know, you're getting at a, um, you know, you're getting at something that I think in a way has almost been a running theme throughout this entire episode, which is really kind of responsibility and where that responsibility lies. Um, which I think almost brings us to our brainer, right? Which is sort of like the key yeah. takeaway um, from from this, you know, from this episode. And when I, you know, listening to everything you've been saying about the CRMs, and you've been much deeper into them than I've been. I've, you know, I've got a perspective, but it's from the outside because um, I've not played with them the way you have. Um, you know, and certainly, you know, what you've had to say about that, plus the things we're seeing and hearing and and um, experience experiencing as it relates to GPT-4 and you know if we've got you know we've got open AI become closed AI right, right. and not really saying what Microsoft firing its ethics team right Mark. For AI. Right, that's another thing we haven't spoken about today, right? You know, right. if I, you know, Microsoft fires an AI ethics team, but they've abdicated, right? For, they've abdicated responsibility. Basically, they're like, "Here's a gun. Right. If you shoot somebody, you're going to jail. We're not responsible." Right now, the argument from Microsoft is, you know, well, we have another AI team, but you know, in the reporting I've seen, you talk to that AI team, and the, and they say, well, yeah, we come up with policy, but policy is abstract. The team that's no longer here were the people that translated that policy into something meaningful for our product releases, so that the policy was implemented effectively in our products and. As, you know, shortly after that team gets let go, what does Microsoft do? Announce the integration of this AI into their entire productivity suite. So how has that been safeguarded? How has that been reinforced, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, right? And, and um, they basically you know, so 
feel they can do that, right? They can do that and not be responsible. Sure. It's on you. I mean, I'm sure all the licensing right. has been updated to make it, you know, this is anything that happens, we're, we're not responsible. You are not indemnified by us providing the software. You are responsible for what you do with it. And that's a, that's, that's important, right? Like you can't just say like, hey, Microsoft rep, hey, HubSpot rep, what are you doing giving me this tool that's gonna blow up my pipeline because my sales team, well, they're just not really big thinkers. I mean, like you can't do that, right? And I think most decent salespeople are big thinkers, by the way, they're very good, they're very clever, they understand people, they understand relationships more than anything, they're not gonna go run out and use that, but the ones that aren't motivated in the same way will. So, like, you can't, you can't go to HubSpot yeah. and say, damn you for giving me this. Right. Yeah, and I think that's the, right, that's the, and I, you know, I've not looked at any updated T's and C's. I don't want to paint Microsoft with a brush that says, hey, they're, you know, they're, you know, sending us down the, you know, down the path into this, like, you know, dystopian hellscape. I don't want to paint OpenAI with that brush. I don't want to paint Salesforce or HubSpot or Jasper or you name it with the brush of like, hey, these guys are bad tech. No, no, but no. But, but I, that's their lawyer's jobs, I, right? Their job right. is to protect the sure. enterprise from being sued. Right. But I think ultimately, if I'm a marketer, and I'm sitting inside an organization and I represent a brand and I've got a team of people who are becoming increasingly AI curious and they are being empowered by a set of tools that are increasingly incorporating artificial intelligence as a feature, right? Whether that's a HubSpot or a writing assistant or Microsoft Office or Google Sheets, right? It doesn't make a difference. Did you say Google um, Sheets? <laughs> oh! Oh, not safe for work. <laughs> Come on, it's we have to have a laugher somewhere in here. <laughs> and, um, but regardless, right, if now these tools are increasingly available to the people in my organization and I'm a chief marketing officer, let's say, mm. um, or I'm a head of sales or a C you know, CRO or a chief anything officer in an organization and these tools are being made available to my people and my people are using them either officially or not, right? Um, it's now, I think the, the mindset needs to be, I am responsible, right? And I think that's the big takeaway here is that regardless of what the technology companies themselves are doing, as the user, you need to take on a sense of ownership and responsibility. Um, you know, you need to be thinking today, what is my policy? How do I document a policy for my organization's responsible use of AI so that it is clear where those guardrails are. You know, is it acceptable for my enterprise sales team to send out AI-generated emails, or is it unacceptable? Right. We're already seeing media companies like Wired issue policies like that. Yeah. Um, you know, where they're they're not going to publish AI-generated articles, and where AI is used in the creation of an article, they're going to flag it explicitly. Right. So that's a policy that might not be right for everybody, but every Every brand is going to ultimately need to have that kind of policy in place to avoid any issues with what individual actors in their organization might do, good, bad, or otherwise. Yeah. 
Totally. Um, so I think that's really what it all comes down to at the end of the day is these tools are fun to play with. They're going to increasingly find their way into workflows. Um, as that happens, you're going to be caught flat-footed if you haven't thought about what the acceptable and unacceptable use cases are for those tools or technologies. Spot on. I, I, you couldn't have said it better. I mean, the reality is, is you have to think about how you're going to train your staff. You have to create the policy. You have to think about the implementation. You have to engage in the change management. I mean, you actually have to treat this like a major software launch that's being pushed down on you, not because it's that revolutionary from a functionality standpoint, but it's revolutionary from a sales and marketing standpoint on the way that you can interact with people. So you really have to think that through. Yeah, and if you think about it, it's it's not that we haven't been here before in that sense, right? You know, so again, to kind of reinforce the fact that we're both old codgers and probably should be retiring rather than launching a podcast. You know, we saw this happen with social media, right? You know, where oh my in the God, early it's a days comment of- box. <laughs> in the early days of social, organizations did not have clear policies, right? right. Um, then when they realized they needed policies, they created policies that in many cases were far too restrictive and were almost draconian in their nature uh, until and then they finally realized they needed to create policies that empowered employees to do the right kinds of things while guiding employees on how not to do the wrong kinds of things and you know the lessons we learned there should be applied here right and we can't wait for you know, social media crises to happen or AI generated crises to happen for your our brand um, in, to get our act together and start to put these policies in place. 100%. Couldn't agree more. Well said. All right. Since we're in agreement, so I'm going to assume everybody agrees with us because, you know, hey, why not? Um, let's, uh, why don't we move along? So I know Jeff, you have a no brainer for the, uh, for, for this episode. So let's talk about that a little bit. Yeah. So I, I think it kind of came up a little bit when you were talking about your style. And, uh, I think, uh, I mentioned as well to sourcing information in the chat GPT. So if chat GPT is the new Wikipedia, sorry, Wikipedia, I, I do think you're in trouble. Um, uh, or people are using it for search, which I think is probably a secondary use, but we will see it integrated into search engines. Then it only makes sense. It's in every brand's interest, every person, every influencer who wants to be known on the internet and wants their information out there to put their information into ChatGPT. And we did see this uh, in a scenario, I, I won't say what, where we were researching something and we saw a competitor's information in there and we instantly knew that they had populated their content into ChatGPT. So we just did the same thing, you know? And I think that if you're out there and you think that your customers or the people you want to talk to or influence in any way are using ChatGPT, which I think at this point we're probably looking at, you know, we're still very early in the adoption cycle um, based on some of my talking with other folks in the local DC market. I think maybe I was in a room yesterday where we were talking about it I have a room of 40 people, maybe four or five people had used it, and they're all marketing and business development people. So that should give you an idea. But um, you should absolutely populate your content in there. Put it in there. Train the data on what you do. Train the algorithm to spit out what you're saying. Even if it's the way you say it and not your brand name in particular, it's useful to have your ideas out there so if somebody does do a conventional search, they can match that up. That's a no-brainer. 
Alrighty. How much do, how much of that do you think is sort of an artifact of, and I'm not speaking relative to your specific use case necessarily, but how much of that would you say is an artifact of, well, you didn't really publish a lot of great search-friendly content 10 years ago, so it didn't make it into the training data, and now you're kind of doing a catch-up or a correction to kind of you know now fine-tune the data to recognize that you exist and what you are. Yeah, it's a little bit of both, right? And I do think that it's probably sourcing more relevant, newer information over older stuff. But if you're not, if you haven't already published content, then you're in that kind of catch-up game. And then the other thing too, which will be really interesting, and I I know that you've posted a couple articles from journalists complaining about this, but we are going to probably end up in a cycle where ChatGPT is indexing ChatGPT content that's been created by people. So it's kind of like this infinity meta loop where you're just sourcing bad chat GPT content over and over again. I do think there's a, a point where originality uh, pays off here. Um, and I actually think it'll be a competitive advantage for some people. Um, so I'm not, too, I'm not as freaked out as some of the, it's the end of information and learning as we know it uh, kind of memes I'm seeing. But um, it is something that you need to be mindful of, like how am I creating content to populate this and inform it with original thinking so that it becomes that genesis for those endless memes of the same thing being said over and over and over. (laughs) And over and over. And speaking about over, I think we're just about over for this episode. I think we've made it through everything we had to discuss. Um, If you are watching us on YouTube, certainly hit that subscribe button or as the kiddos say, smash the like button. Um, You know, also, if you're if you're if you're listening to us on Spotify, Google, um, geez, I can't think of Apple, 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 iTunes. All of the, you know, if you're if you've asked your Alexa to play us through to your TuneIn app or whatever, uh, be sure to follow the podcast. If you have ideas, criticisms, complaints, uh, things you'd love to hear us discuss, you can hit us up at hello at nobrainerpodcast.com. Uh, we will have show notes available at nobrainerpodcast.com. Um, and um, I think that's about it. What else do we have to say, Jeff? Look, uh, I don't know. Mid Journey Five, maybe next session, next episode will be on Mid Journey Five. Maybe not. So many things happen so quickly in AI. All right, awesome. Thanks, thanks for uh, checking us out, and we will see you next time in a couple of weeks. Thanks, everybody. You may know you're listening to this show along the Marketing Podcast Network, but did you know there are other great shows on MPN to help your business? Christy Heiler hosts a fantastic podcast called Own It. Christy, tell us more about the show. Own It is all about celebrating women and non-binary advertising agency owners. We talk about buying out of the Boys Club of Advertising because less than 1% of ad agencies are owned by women. And where can people subscribe? You can find the podcast at untilyouownit.com. We're also on the Marketing Podcast Network at marketingpodcast.net. And of course, you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You heard her. Go subscribe. This podcast is heard along the Marketing Podcast Network. For more great marketing podcasts, visit marketingpodcasts.net.